0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Parsha Shamos. If you are listening on Torah anytime or somewhere out there online and you want the notes, the sources, and uh, what we always refer to in the class, that's easy. You can get them by emailing me, EST, the first three letters of my name, Esther, estween at gmail. Okay, we also have a Q&A for those that want to participate in a very Busy and robust, um, nonstop, endless chat. Um, you can, if you want to be joined to that, you can WhatsApp me at 516 526 2096. We are starting par- uh, Safer shmos Parsha shmos our dedications. For Fega Rachel Bas Halevi, yard sites. Neshama should have an Aliyah. For Chana Gold is dedicating in honor of her son's birthday, Yoshua David ben Chana. Michelle Galin is dedicating on the yard site of her mother, Rifka Dvorah Bas Dora Gluck on the yard site of her father, Avraham Chaim ben Simcha. Rivki rice on the yard site of her father, Aharon ben Avraham. We have a lot of yard sites. They're Neshama Sheven Aliyah. Aliza Leichton, Rafua Shlema for Esther Malka, Basheindel Rachel, And Surprise for Ruchi Freed in honor of her birthday. Birthdays are affirmations that the world wouldn't exist without the life of the person who was born. And I'm here to say that my life is so much more fabulous. My dear friend, Ruchi, happy birthday, Ruchi, vest of health. Okay. Our class today is, we changed the title. It's called um, Bacha Bucks the System. <laughs> okay. We all know there's a class about this uh, from a couple of years ago, that the beginning of the story of the national um, uh, 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 the national salvation, the national redemption of the people, the beginning of the story is all about women. Women who stood alone, each one an army of one or two who bucked the system who stayed true to their values, who did not capitulate to groupthink, fear or logic. Okay. Rather they kept their values in mind. Who are the great women of chapter one of Sefer Shamos? Basia, Miriam, Yocheved, anyone else? Basia we said, okay it the women all are the whole story here there'd be no Moshe benu there'd be no jewish people the women here are highlighted front and center they form the, the beating heart of the jewish people they are they have real emuna, which is confidence that they are in god's hands and there is a story unfolding and unlike Um, Miriam's father, who says, what is the difference? We might as well give in. Why should we bother having children anymore? Everyone knows this famous story. Why not? Well, the boys are going to be thrown into the river. And the girls, well, it was before Matan Torah. So lineage went according not to the mother. You weren't Jewish if your mother was Jewish, but if your father was Jewish. So the girls are going to marry Egyptians. So what's the point? Why do we bother having kids? And everyone knows that Miriam said, what are you saying? were you do you know god's plan do you like are you not looking more than like till you know tomorrow or the next day like anything could happen paro could die things could change what are you doing have children and of course they got remarried based on miriam's clear logical advice and of course they had Moshe benham now this was quite the family moshe Aaron, miriam these are obviously sustained us throughout all the years of Yitzhiah Mitzrayim and the desert. But, and yes, thank goodness. We look at our story and we say, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? The Avos and the Mohos, their legacy did not die, even though there was very, very diluted in Mitzrayim. The legacy remained alive, particularly in the family of Levi and we have a Miriam and a Moshe and an Aaron. Of course, there wouldn't be a Moshe without a Miriam. But um, the legacy is alive, and uh, and it comes, it rises up, it it, it um, reemerges to, of course, uh, ensure the continuation of Khayiro. But what about Pharaoh and his whole story? Who would expect that the real savior of Moshe Rabbeinu, the real main figure in the entire story, without which without her, we would have no Moshe, no nothing. Okay. It would be Paro's daughter. That is like, that's coming from left field. If you were just telling the story, you would not, you know, it's a really good story because it's so interesting. Who would have expected it? So where does Paro's daughter come from? Okay. So in order to begin to understand Paro's daughter and what she did and how significant she is as a role model. She's even Hashem, I don't know what her real name was. There's different, uh, we were in Egypt last year at this time. There are different um, suggestions, Nefertiti, Hereshupatet, I don't know, various people that they were important leaders in Egypt, but uh, we don't really know. The message here is not that. The message is, you know, who was Basia? What does she teach us? You know what koach do we need to find within ourselves to guarantee and ensure the the ongoing existence and and uh, and strengthening and and um, you know ultimately you know fe- achievement of, of the future gula how what is the koach that Batya had that she that we have to learn from okay Batya is called her name is Batya because Hashem says you called Moshe your son you took care of him like a son well then you are my daughter. Now you can't get better than that, okay. Daughter and son in Torah, okay. levanecha, children. Hashem doesn't have biological children. Rashi tells us child means Talmud, student. The more a person learns from someone, the more a person is influenced by someone, the more a person is an extension of somebody's ideas, the more they are a child. It's an ideological child. So when it says Abbas is Hashem's daughter, it means her. Stu- she's Hashem's student. She really learned the Torah ideas. But let's go back to the context that Bacha is, finds herself in. What sort of world is this world? Now, until you actually go to Egypt, you, you know, we learn all these things, as mythological and, and all that, but then you're actually standing in a culture in the middle of what is so, so, so well preserved, okay, incredibly well preserved. They had very good business building techniques. And you're standing in front of Abu Simbal, you know, in the south of the country. You've all seen it online, pictures, those four massive thrones seated on the throne, Ramses, right? And you walk into the temple, and then there's these huge statues of um of the of various um. Uh, You know of of Ramses himself, obviously, and huge pictures of all their avotazora stories, and you understand how seriously they took themselves. Particularly, the Exodus stories happens around somewhere within the 100 years of Ramses II, probably, and you see how overpowering, massive, intimidating, okay, threatening was the you know you know the way they built. And have how they how they represented themselves, and how you can imagine all of the peoples that were so utterly, um, you know, um, paralyzed, sort of in fear of the power of these people. So look what it says here. Now, Paro, of course, came up with the plan to turn them all into slaves. But we're going to focus on a few a few words that are going to really be keys to very profound ideas. So what was the way? that Paro decided to to ensure that the Jewish people would not become too much of a threat to the country. You know, both their power, their influence, their ideology. So it says he made them into slaves, right? So look here, Shemos 1, (inaudible) 14. He made their lives bitter, (inaudible) with very hard work, (inaudible) with mortar and bricks, okay? And they worked in the fields and all sorts of work. I ask your question, the Torah, every word is specific. The Torah wants us to know that Paro made them busy with mortar and bricks. Now that's a shot, but there's a deeper meaning here. When is the first time in the Torah that we ever learn about people working and building cities out of bricks and mortar homer and levinen migdal Bavil. now we need to go back to migdal Buvel very interesting the mastermind of migdal Buvel was nimrod does anyone know who he came from shame hammer yafes ham um ham. Ham, canaan egyptian that were who are the cananim mitzrayim grandson mitzrayim and nimrod was one of the descendants all right, now we're in Mitzrayim. Who does Mitzrayim come from? Ham. okay. so what happens in Migul Bavil? Look at the um look at Barishas. What is it saying guys? What is this what do we call this in modern language? One language and one word, same words. One way of one language, everybody spoke the same language, and everybody used the same words. groupthink, thought police, thought control. We're, we've already, before this story, we've already been introduced to Nimrod. Nimrod has been described as a Gibort sayid, a great hunter before God. Nimrod, of course, the word means mori, to rebel. We all know that, right? So Chazal tell us that um, after the flood, believe it or not, the tendency to survived the flood, okay? um and the medrash is that some of the big idols these massive idols got washed away and they settled in this valley called of shinar okay some sort of valley the main thing about a valley means it doesn't have mountains okay and uh, the, there was a tendency towards avodah Zarah, and it, and it resurged after the Mabul, in particularly the domain of ham okay ham means ha. okay Yefes means Yofi, beautiful, and shame means the name. Very simple, three forces, three types of cultures. The culture shame is devoted to the name, okay, the name of God. Eventually, when we learn about Avraham, in Lech <laughs> it says Vayikra, B'Shame Hashem. Okay, Yefes, Yofi, aesthetics, <laughs> science, math, art, music, taking the beauty of the world and trying to elevate it. And Noah says, good, beautiful, there's a beautiful world out here for you to appreciate, discover, just keep it in the tents of shame. In other words, keep it, all of technology and science and art, let it serve you know, divine purposes, let it serve proper purposes. But then there's Cham, Cham is hot blooded, okay? And his fourth grandchild was actually addressed, as in terms of serving his brother. And it applies to, um, and it, it, it applies to Canaan. the word machnia to Ben. In other words, you are hot blooded. You live for your instincts. You live with the po- impulse of the moment. You need to subjugate yourself to your brothers who can civilize you a little bit more. You can't live like that in survival mode. You gotta be influenced. You got to be under the rule of a little, a more elevated sort of approach to life of shame. Yefes is with shame. They're a partner. They're supposed to be a partner, and you got to make yourself. Um, you know, you got to lock yourself into that. You got to handcuff yourself to that. You can't. You know, you, you this is, you, you're you're dangerous on your own. Okay, but Chaim as expected, is the one who they really start the avodazara thing going again. And you know what avodazara looks like? Certainly in primitive cultures, it's all about the physical, it's all about paints and, and piercings and child sacrifice and all that stuff. It's all about survival and um, dances and who knows what. And uh, not unique to Africa, you find it in Indonesia, you find it all over the place, okay? All right. Um now they start with the Avotazara. Okay. Nimrod, he goes further. Avodah was an attempt <laughs> to manipulate the forces to real survival mode, to try to get things the way you need them. Okay. But Nimrod took it to the next level. Okay. Nimrod was is is called Nimrod because his intention was to rebel against God. The question is, isn't all Avodazara to rebel against God? I mean, Egypt at the time that we're, we're we're talking about now was the most uh, advanced society, and their avodas was like on steroids. Okay, but what is it? Isn't it all to rebel against God? And what's very interesting here is that um, yeah, avodas it, it was not intention to rebel against God. It was a it was a service of the forces of nature, who they believed were under the great God. There was always a great God all the way till Greece, there was Zeus and then the underling gods, right? It wasn't an attempt to to rebel against God. It was an attempt to um, get your needs met by keeping what you invented and you called gods happy. But Nimrod was different. Nimrod weaponized the vodazara. He said, I have been selected to rule by the gods. Therefore, you need to keep me happy because I will keep the gods happy. And if you don't, if you don't serve me, and if I, you rebel against me, since I am the child or the designated one by the gods, then you're in trouble. So this is a whole other level, okay? He's rebelling against God because he's saying, it's all about keeping me happy, okay? This is totalitarianism. This is a dictatorship. This now, of course, it goes with the thought police. It's like communism and North Korea and and China and every type of system where a leadership party really has as their goal power for themselves. They use it to intimidate the people that if they don't keep the leadership happy, they won't get any services. The leadership will withhold their needs from them. So suddenly you have Nimrod. So Nimrod is the anti Abraham, right? He seems to be the first person in the ancient world, after the flood, that became, that terrorized the people, that um, that created a very interesting society. It says they all moved to Shinar, the Hazal tell us, because it was a plane, and that's gonna be significant. And he set up a nice, you know, sophisticated, as much as possible, society there. And people moved there because he would provide for their needs. It sounds a little bit like communism. He would provide for all their needs. They would be safe. And yet they would have to, they would have to pledge absolute allegiance to him and his agenda. So now we know what it means. There were one language and one word. Okay. Everyone said the same stuff. Thought police, censorship. You're not allowed to say anything. Even till today, this is alive and well, right? We know what this is this now they traveled from the east this is always a buzzword for away from God away from Hashem away from anything okay and they found this valley and they settled there okay now fayomru Ishoyehu they all said to each other nilbana let's make bricks let's live how do you, I can't see the kudos. And we're going to burn them hard. We're going to harden them by burning. Now, look at the next words. This is the key. And here comes our Meisha Shapiro to give, a, to unlock this mystery. But to The bricks were for them stones. And their cement that they concocted with whatever recipe they used was for them. The mortar, or the which had traditionally been used, for, what does it mean? What does it mean, guys? Their bricks were for them stones, and their cement was for mortar. What is the key concept here between? What is the difference between stones and bricks? What's a cement made? Stones are part of the bricks stones are part of god's world you find them and they pick them up maybe you chisel them a little bit and you use them the original mortar was the mud right so what's the pasuk saying what do you think a yomro let's do the next pasuk Nivne lanu ir let's build a city with all of our bricks what do you do with what why a city what's a city for Protection, you all live within a city. Umigdal Barosho, in a great tower at its head, all the way up to the heavens. We're going to make us name for ourselves. This is Ham talking. I'm going to make a name for myself. Pen Penifrot's color. It's lest we be scattered. What is going on here? Why is it hard telling us this whole story in the very beginning of Barathez? We're learning something fundamental that we're going to repeat itself a thousand times. They're replacing the Kieda. Himself, right? They created okay, them. so in Misha talked about this a lot in more Kabbalistic language, a letter like a teva, like Noach's teva, a teva. What is a teva in Hebrew? Tevot, you're in first grade, you learn your tevos. What's that mean? You learn your letters. So, in more Kabbalistic language, a stone is a letter, and a word is called bias. Okay, what are we saying? A stone is a letter. OK. You put a bunch of letters together, a bunch of stones together, you make a house. OK, but they're not building a house out of stones. Now they're building a house or a city out of bricks. OK. The, the a Teva is also called, you know, we know it from an ark. But a teva really is letters that make up a word. Let's talk about words. Words are constructs, they help you think. So, your child comes home from school and says, I had a bad day, so angry. So, you say to your child, you give them words or constructs, you say, What does that mean? Are you scared? Are you embarrassed? Are you um, are you overwhelmed? Are you confused? Are you frustrated? Like what is what what exactly is it? And when you give a person a word and they can say, yeah, that's what it is. It's that I'm um, confused, right? Then they can think about being confused and they can process it and then you can help them sort it out. So a teva, like Noah went into, is a construct. Okay, it's a construct. The Tevah Noah went into was Torah constructs was truths. It's contracts. Now, originally, the constructs that made up the way people thought were stones, meaning they were Hashem's constructs. There were certain realities, like there are boys and there are girls. They're just constructs that Hashem made, and you use them to think about stuff. Okay, but the first time you see the. Um, that that humanity and and hashem says you know telling us what we're going through right now we're not going to use stones in fact they looked in it they were they were in a valley which means a low place there were no mountains, which means this is a place where we invent our own this is a low place we're going to invent our own constructs we're going to define what things mean we're going to make our own constructs our bricks that we make with our own recipe Okay, and we fire them in a furnace so that they're exactly solid, like we want them. That's going to be our stones. Now everyone understands what that means? So we're going to say that a woman is, you know, whatever, right? Or because that's going to be our construct. And then what happens when we start building our own constructs, we get what today is called buzzwords. There are buzzwords today constructs that everybody thinks according to these constructs. In fact, when you introduce this construct it's sometimes very dangerous because someone says, "Oh, I didn't know that it was trauma that that you know, I didn't know I was abused, right? I didn't know that I wasn't authentic. I didn't know I didn't have body positivity. Oh, I didn't realize that I was being judged, etc, etc, etc." So don't forget bricks also come from raw material. You get some mud, you get some straw. In Egypt, we literally saw mud, straw, mud, bricks. Yeah, they come from Hashem's raw material. That's true. There is some element of truth to these ideas, but they're weaponized. Today, constructs are weaponized, particularly against traditional or biblical values. Modesty for women is suppression. Circumcision is violence without consent. Okay, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So there are truths. We build our own constructs and then we build a city. And you know why we build a city with these constructs? Because we're going to be very safe inside our city. We're going to have all these buzzwords, all these bricks that we made, and we're going to hold them together with our own cement that we invented. Okay. And everybody's got to make sure they put a brick in the wall. And if you don't put a brick in the wall, You're canceled, you're out. Okay, remember the Medrash said that if a person died, who cares? But if a brick fell, that was a problem. That's trying to say something. You're only as valuable as your contribution to let's say today wokeism and what you can add to the conversation, okay? So this is old stuff. One language, some buzzwords, thought police, build yourself a city, you're safe inside and you have a big tower. What's your tower? It's your big theological structure that you made out of your buzzwords, okay? And out of your new ideology that you invented, which has at its core certain truths. Of course, there's always truth. There is trauma and there is judgmentalism. And of course, there's certain truths. There's violence and there is lack of consent. There's elements to this that are true and everybody therefore buys into it but it what ends up happening is called group think and don't make any mistake about it there are the thought police did you all hear what's happening to Jordan Peterson okay google it you know who he is right okay so google it he is put in thought police jail he has to be re-educated because he said women are there are two genders and other horrible things like that and so now the Canadian the uh, you know uh, uh, academy of, of psychology is threatening to take away his license unless he submits to re-education. It's right here in Parak eleven of the Torah. Okay, so what happens here? There, this is the story, and uh, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We are going to, you know, stand out in the world as a beacon of light. All those oppressed people, and we're you know we're going to have a, a tower, and all of this. Is a rebellion against God. All of this now that's this is today in in Nimrod's day, it was a zara it was weaponizing a zara to serve himself. Okay, so he could like be. And when we were in Egypt, we saw that every single pharaoh had huge paintings on all the walls of their temples where they were images of how the God was bestowing life upon the pharaoh and how the God, and you know, the Pharaoh was ruling by the very grace and will of God himself. So same, 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 okay. So yeah, That's all the same. It wasn't until the 1700s where the philosophers in England started looking at the monarchy and asked a very simple question, which was a Jewish question from 3000 years before, by what right do you rule exactly? <laughs> okay, now we do have a concept in Judaism of, of a of a not, of an of a melech being nimshach by Hashem. There's a real thing, but that actually is real. It wasn't invented for the sake of personal power. Okay. Now, now that we understand what it means to build with bricks and cement and build cities and all that. Now let's go back to Egypt. So Egypt was also Qham. Egypt, as we said, was a totalitarian society, only the pharaohs and the priests. You know had any rights nobody by the way even in egyptian society and egyptian philosophy no other person had a soul other than the pharaohs and maybe than the priest no one had an afterlife it's just the the elite okay so the jewish people were some sort of threat to them of course and they decided that they had the right to eliminate them by all means possible all right what happens so they have the Jews start building these cities, which is another word, also another way of talking about assimilation. And the Jews did assimilate. We know that by the time of UTS Mitzrayim, they were they had degenerated back into a Botezara, almost completely, except for Sheva Levi. They really lost the concept of monotheism. They very much bought into the groupthink and the culture and all of that. They were assimilating. However, besides for the family of Moshenar um, of um, you know of um, and Miriam. Believe it or not, in the belly of the beast in Pharaoh's own house, there was a woman who insisted on thinking for herself. Who else in the time of Migdal Buville, refused to capitulate to groupthink? Avraham. Remember the story about throwing Avraham in the furnace? What do you think that's talking about? They wanted to make him a brick. They wanted him to be, to buy in to the ideology, but he refused. And the concept of him strolling around in the furnace, like no big deal means he was impervious to their pressure. He was so sure of his convictions that he was right and they were all wrong. He, he was enemy number one to Nimrod. Nimrod was trying to get rid of him, but he had influence. People were listening to him. He was a threat to Nimrod. So Ramam doesn't mention the Kishinai. She says he was a he was a threat. He opposed the culture. He opposed Nimrod, and Hashem did a great nace for him. That's all Ramam says. And he left eventually. He left and he went to Canaan. Okay, which is also Ham, believe it or not, because these are the two poles. So um, so now you have this woman, Basparo, in the belly of the beast, and she refuses to submit to this thought control. She doesn't wanna be a brick. She doesn't, she just sees things differently. How did she get there? You know what? I don't know, but it means you can think for yourself in the internet age, there is no excuse for not knowing what's out there and thinking for yourself and evaluating. And if we just read everything we wanna hear, we're never gonna know anything different than what we already know. So it really means listening and opening eyes. And also there's a moral thing. Is this right? Maybe this just isn't right. How do I just give into it, right? So now in Asha's Chayel, in the end of Mishle, which is Mishle means mashal, meaning every single thing in that book is a mashal, okay? And Asha's Chayel is a mushal too. And particularly the measures tells us each stanza is a mashal for someone else. So which stanza is Basya's? Batakam Ba'od Lila. And she rose herself up. She rose up. and she took a stand when it was still nighttime. What does that mean? It was dark. Ideologically. Darkness. Okay. Batitin Teref Levesa. What does it mean Teref? What's Teref? Teref. Treif. What's a Terefa? Tarof, y- tarof y- Yosef. Yosef was Tarof Taraf. Torn apart. Deconstruction. Shh, shh, shh. She took the ideology, she ripped it to shreds. She deconstructed it. But t- tarif, lavesa, she gave her father's house her deconstructed idea, right? She tore it up and said, I don't believe in it. What is this talking about? a rule to her maidservants what are we talking about go back right above member basparo she decides she's big maguire she is rebirthing herself there was no official gay respect then but she's going in the nile Chazal i'll say she is rebirthing herself she is now identifying with the jews she obviously spoke to them she got some sort of education whatever happened but she decides she's identifying with the jews unbelievable she's the ivory Avram was, everyone was on one side, and he's, Ava, she's the same Ivory in, in, you know, in the next, this Safer. She's on the other side. She stands alone. She's an army of one. And um, she goes down. Now, look at the words, and we've learned this before, but it bears repeating a fabulous idea from Rav Hutner. And she says, um, look at, well, look at these words. There's extra words in this pasuk that we on first reading we just don't need what are the extra words basparo, she goes down to to wash in the river okay that's a, a symbol that means that she's going to rebirth herself okay wash off her the tomah wash off the ideology and her naros, which are in asha's chayel her naros are walking on the side of the river she sees the teva in the middle of the reeds butla she sends the pshada she sends her maidservant and and the maidservant brings the cradle what words are extra that they're walking on the side of the river who needs to know that why could it right these are seems like extra words correct okay but they're not extra words. Rashi says, "Holchos." I didn't have the Rashi here. You could look it up. al you are walking on the side of the river. Rashi says, "Holchos" is a euphemism. It means they're walking to their death. They're going to their spiritual death, really, because obviously we know they didn't physically die because the end of the Pasuk says she sent the maidservant to get the cradle and she got it. So they didn't die. So what does Rashi mean? They're going to death. By the way, where else in the Torah does a person say, use the word in reference to death? Good. What does he say? Why do I need the Ni what is the concept of holech lamus? So Rashi explains because they tried to talk her out of saving this baby. They understood there was a baby, they understood it was a Jewish baby and they told her don't do it. What are you doing? Be a brick. What are you doing? This is you're you're violating the the the, the, the whole societal all the all the rules and norms and values. What are you doing? So, did she listen to them? How do you know? because she said, go get the cradle. Okay, that's the pshat. I mean, whatever with her arm is a nice measure that explains that you go the extra mile even. But the pshat, let's just work with the pshat. So clearly her, this is what happened. She said, I am done with this ideology. She sees a baby. She says, I'm saving a baby because it's an innocent baby. I'm not, that's it, done. The maid servants say, what are you doing? And she says, I'm not interested in your opinion. Okay, go get the baby. And they go get the baby. Rashi says at this point, when they tried to convince her not to save Moshe, they went to their death. Rav Hutner explains. When a person has lost influence in the world, when no one listens to you, when nobody cares what you're saying, you have spiritually died. Because to be spiritually alive is one thing and one thing only. That you have influence that you are making an impact in a positive way we're all going to be gone one day and the the houses we lived in and the things we had and that's all going to be forgotten completely and when people think about us they're not going to think about us about our kids they're going to think about us right when you think about the Chavez Chaim you don't think about his kids whenever you think about someone great you think of Moshe Ben you don't think about his kids the only thing that's going to be remembered is the positive influence we made if a person has opted out, but because they're a brick in the wall of having any positive influence, okay? Then they are spiritually dead. Going to death means losing what the telmo Kim, the capacity to add something, to channel something true into the world. They have died. But, Paro, but Paro's daughter has become alive. She is Bas Ka, She's ba, the daughter of Hashem, okay? So she is the Avraham of her time. She's a bias, okay. bias. Kidding, she's biased. very nice, bias, beautiful. She is an Avraham of her time. She stands apart from everyone. She deconstructs the whole thing. She is not a brick in the wall. You know that famous song by Pink Floyd? All in all, we're just another brick in the wall. They, they, people get it, okay? And, um, and you see the Medrash here, they're talking about Paro, okay? um she rejected idolatry she rejected spiritual death all right and she became um and she became of course the mother of motion now interestingly enough all right Moshe rises up motion and it starts in a teva what does that mean Evan is a Teva, right? Moshe is in a Teva, is in a Teva. What does it mean? In a deeper way. Moshe is also in the waters. The waters represent many things, but in the Mobble and in the story of Moshe, being flooded away with the current of whatever's the norm, just being carried away in the flood. But Moshe and Noah, right? Moshe is saved here in a Teva, a construct of ideas, different ideas that save us. In a way, right? Moshe is in a, but Moshe's in a teva, meaning that we want. Let's stick with construct of ideas. Moshe he brings the dibros, davar, dibor. Okay, a uh, tevos letters make up words. When we speak words, dibros davar, we are creating concepts and we need to have accurate concepts to work with. We cannot have buzzwords and manufactured ideas that serve the purpose of anarchy or somebody's personal power it used to be in the olden days, personal power. That's all the dictators, North Korea and this, but there's even a worse form of, a, of, of totalitarian dictatorship and thought which is which isn't a concept, an idea, an ideology like wokeism that you must Buy into, or you will be canceled, and everything, right? So, Basia here, of course, represents independence of thought, not buying into groupthink. However, very interesting. Or Moshe Shkira says, "We also built a city and a tower, and we also built it out of bricks, and we also built it in Baville. What do you think that? What do you think he's referring to? What came out of Boville, which is an elaborate, immense. City, within which we are safe, built out of bricks, with a huge tower at its head, Talmud Bavli. Our Torah, Talmud Bavli, is also, in a way, made out of bricks, meaning we take truths that implanted in the world. We work with these truths, okay, but we are working off the Torah. We're walking off the Ten Dibros. We're working off the Torah. We're working off reality. And we are adding our particular chiddush, which is in a way in line with the great truths. But yes, you are a person is allowed to add their own idea to support the great structure of truth. All right. And this does make for us a shame, but shame Hashem. So what is the difference between adding your chiddush to a structure of truth or adding your personal brick to a huge infrastructure of manufactured fake fake ideas you know what's the difference individual, individuality and the other is just thing. so in our building in our the way we build up a structure we do believe in everybody contributing their piece but in Judaism, okay, we value independent thinking within the within God's truth. So for example, I'll give you three examples of how Torah and Halacha ensure that we avoid groupthink. Number one, if there is a basin or Sanhedrin, okay, and they are they are they are trying someone for Dine Nefashos, meaning life or death at Person could be killed, like capital punishment, right? And the entire based in, it's always an uneven amount, all unanimously vote guilty. They do not convict because there's got to be someone who thinks differently. That's example number one. Number two, in the Sanhedrin, when they started presenting a topic for discussion, Okay, there's always be like the newest members and then the avaston or the Rosh sanhedrin, right? They never started with the top because then everyone would be intimidated and say, Well, they must be right, so why should I say anything? They started at the bottom, okay, so that each person would say their opinion and I um, wouldn't be intimidated about about you know, you know, before the person who was, you know, before the authority. All right. Next, group think to allow people to think for themselves, all right, where the entire Jewish learning culture is about questions and answers. Right. The whole Gemara culture, the whole learning culture, even Pesach, which Moshe, which is the Yetzirah Mitzrayim, is all question and answer. People have to ask questions. They're allowed to ask questions. And, they, de- and they're expect- they, they have a right to expect good answers. So we believe in individual thinking, but we also accept that there is a great truth that we're all meant to work within, and that truth is protective. The only difference is the stone or the brick. Are you building a city that's supporting a divine, eternal truth? Or are you building a city that is supporting a man-made, artificial construct that is always in opposition to Torah truths? That's why Nimrod is called the great Moray, the one who rebels against God. It's an entire structure, designed to shift power away from God, away, leadership, governance to another person, okay? So Mitzrayim is the same old, same old, same old. Here you have Avraham, here you have Basia, okay? Avraham starts the Jewish nation. Um, Avraham and the followers and, and the Avasimahos are the founders of Judaism. They institute the original key ideas that found Judaism. Basia is the mother in a real way uh, by of Moshe, and he is the great teacher of Judaism. The difference between the Avos and Moshe, they are the founders. Moshe is the teacher. Moshe brings all the constructs down to us, all the dibros, all the ideas, all the words. That's why Lashon HaKodesh is um, a language that the words themselves, even the shapes of the letters that make up the words, each of each part of every letter has a concept. Can, there's a great book called The Wisdom of the Hebrew Alphabet by Ellie Monk that talks about even the structure of all the letters. That's where Leshon HaKodesh comes in. So what the main idea just for, for now is that um, we are a people that absolutely believes in thinking for yourself, as long as we have certain truths that are guiding us, certain non-negotiable realities, the, the truths of the Torah, once those are yiras Hashem, that's the foundation, that's the infrastructure or the framework of our Chachma, is, is yours Hashem. After that, think for yourself, add your Chiddush, add your peace, all right? Because the goal is, like Avraham says, like it says about Avraham, v'korei Hashem. He's kori b'shem Hashem, as opposed to v'naasei lanushem. We're going to make a name for ourselves. Right? But the unsung hero here, maybe she is sung about in Eshazchayal every week, is this woman from Egypt. Of course, Moshe gets raised in Egypt too, but he already has the influence of Yocheved and Miriam, you know, and all of that. He's being nursed by his mother out of nowhere, which goes to show human beings are salvageable. You can never predict where somebody with a mind of their own can rise up and challenge the entire structure of the world, okay? In the beginning, it was a man of Rome. But in this story, it's a woman, Basia. And they bring down entire cultures. They challenge entire cultures. And they change the world. And you can't even, and it's shocking. Where does it come from? It comes from in the belly of the beast. You know, it says from the trees of the forest comes the handle of the axe. Okay. So, um, and, um. And so um, we are all, um, we are all proteges. We're all meant to be proteges of Basia. This is how we, um, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is the strength that we're supposed to have. i I didn't talk about Miriam and Yocheved. Talked about them in the past. Obviously that's the same, but they came from the family Leviam. They were from our, they had a Masora. They came from, you know, obviously Mahos. This is a whole different thing. So give our thanks to our, our adoptive mother Basia for who we are today. Yeah. Do we know what happened to Basia afterwards? Um. She's considered Moshe's mother. I once saw Midrashim about it. I don't know. Huh? I don't know. You know, Google, are you guys find? Yes. Rabbi Google. Try to search around for it. No, I'm curious. and if you have to get if you get something interesting, put it on the chat. Oh, if you go into Egyptian history, it's very interesting. There were certain female pharaohs that were very it's fair the whole thing it's hard to pinpoint it exactly where this you know which which a hundred years this is happening, but there are some significant female figures in that time. It's hard to know what you know what the what the what the actual history was you know what I think yeah. Solidifies mm-hmm. that the foundation mm-hmm. has to be strong in order to build the house. And for us, we have the Torah as our foundation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And by the way, what is Evan made out of? Talking about foundations, what is two words in Evan? Av uh-huh. 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 You pass on a Masora, right? Uh-huh. But the but the uh, the passing on an accurate Masora. Nimrod was a self starter, you know. Um, uh-huh. Hmm. Yes, so got bought, bought, right, they got bought him. They got houses, exactly. Ramsha talked about this a lot. It actually comes from a very kabbalistic source that when we the Torah talks about stones, uh we're talking about constructs, divine true constructs that, you know, that we can build that we build with. And once you have a foundation <laughs> of the stones, you know, then um then there is also the which is the Torah's then you, then that's the Torah the Torah Shabbat that is, which has been ongoing and developing as we speak today. Morse farmer being written thousands of years is really our building upon that infrastructure. You know, um, with with everybody's individual. So it is the stone slow the despised will become the. Yes, that's. I guess so. I didn't look into that, but yes. Yeah, so David Mel says, "Evan Masu Habonim, Hay Salarosh Pina." Yeah. There's also that idea of like that what could when you bury someone we can use like a matseva, but I shouldn't describe um using that until a person dies and then complete in their way That's to do with the idea that we're always hanging and we're always getting, We can only use like a one stone thing when a person's completed their you
1: know. interesting. I didn't I
0: don't know about that. I don't know enough about and that. Right. We put stones on it, right, like, exactly. Yeah. We put stones on them on a matseva. That's right. Question, yeah. Thank you. Yes. So Moshe sees the the yiddin, like yeah. he all of a sudden he had a mind shift. Like he so, so Rambam says that wasn't his transitional point. That wasn't his epiphany. When it says that Moshe went out to see his brethren, it means he already started identifying through Basia his mother's influence, obviously, with the Jewish people. And of course he had the influence of his real mother yeah. too so he had already called the jewish people his brothers he was already on that side and when he went to see the what was going on and he sees the mitzri killing the jew and he rises up with courage to protect the underdog the innocent victim okay rambam actually says we've learned this fascinating rambam says in you know whoever's in guide to the guide will get there one day but rambam says that the preliminary Introductory level to nevuah, which isn't nevuah yet, is when God fills a person with a spirit of courage to put themselves in danger, often to stand up for the innocent, to do tzedeku mishpat, to do what's right despite the danger, despite the, you know, the, the 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 you know how they could get themselves in trouble, which Moshe did. That itself is the first sort of preliminary level of a shefa from Hashem that comes to a person's mind and fills them with just a a vigilantism in a certain way to establish what's right in a world where everything is you know, Um, and so that was the first degree of Moshe's like intro to Navur there, okay, where he's being filled with the spirit of God to do that, but he had already shifted his mind before that. And he was 12 when he left his, his mother's house. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, mean, that, yeah, I don't know there. the numbers. He had influence of his parents, of course. Yeah. It's a little risky question, but in this group they rental. Yeah. So I was just curious what how old with the with the black and white nuts well Judaism is really not about suppression of individuality it's not who we are it's It's cultural it's cultural when there is self-imposed um you know sort of conformity all right I mean there's a good thing to identifying with a certain group and blah 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 but when there's this imposed like absolute conformity that everybody must dress a certain way you know it's that's not a Jewish thing it's just not you know, there could be. It's okay, people. It's not a sin. You could conform and have a uniform because to hate, but it's not. Inde- it's not. It's not basic to Judaism. It's not necessary in Judaism to do that. But it gives people like the city. It gives people a sense of a safe space in a city of our constructs that we preserve because you know. And, and it, this is a muscle for creating a you know an environment or a culture where you are within the confines of your ideas. It keeps you separate, it keeps you space. It's, and that's fine, because it's not basic to Judaism that people should conform and dress. There's no such thing. I mean the Levium had a uniform, but that was Lakovo de Latiferis, you know, and the Kohanim. That was to show glory to God. That wasn't, you know, a way of of creating a lack of differentiation or an identity. So, so what's the whole thing with black hats? It it became a custom. You know, what happens is it's a custom because in the 40s and 50s that was considered dignified dress. And the reason people wear hats has to do with the concept of covering your hair twice, like a two-layer yarmulke or a yarmulke in a hat or whatever. And it became a custom. It's just a custom. Everybody. So hmm? everybody yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody wore hats. It was like. Yeah. It's just it's a it's a minhug that took on. It doesn't you know. Yeah. It's a modern minhug. It's not a real minhug. It's a modern cultural thing. I guess. Yeah, in a way, yeah, it could keep you safe hundred percent. It could, it could, it could help you, you know, you know, sort of people like to dress in a way that identifies who they are, you know, so, um, all right, I'm going to stop the recording and I'm going to allow, I'm going to open up this, uh, for the zoom, I'm going to let you guys talk. Let me just stop the recording.